Get ready for the education podcast that brings you the most unique, no-nonsense takes on school leadership, teaching, coaching, and all things K-12 education. This is Informal Observations with Skyrocket Educator Training. Welcome, welcome, welcome to Informal Observations with Skyrocket Educator Training. I am Michael Sombert, the founder of Skyrocket. I'm here with our Chief Schools Officer, Dr. Antonio Vance. Antonio, how are you doing today, sir? Man, I'm doing great, Michael. Ready for this uh, amazing conversation today. How about you? I'm doing great, too. And I got to tell you, I I agree. I am so excited to bring out our guests today, our friends from the team Liberated. Oh, yeah. They are amazing, amazing folks who who specialize in uh, work around diversity, equity and inclusion. We're going to bring them out and uh, in a little bit. But before we get to that, we're going to go three questions with Dr. Vance. Same way we always do. First question is always random. Antonio, who is Uh the best singer? The best vocalist of all time, in your what? opinion. Oh, man. <laughs> Come on, Michael. The best vocalist singer of all times. Hmm. Well, I got two things that popped into my head really quick. Of course, um, Whitney Houston. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, she's um, amazing. But I'm also torn. I mean, Aretha Franklin, I just recently listened to her um, live, the, the recording of her live at the Fillmore. It was like back in 1970, 1971. And I, I, I can't distinguish between the two, man. That's right, so you're going for I just want to be clear. You're going for a tie <laughs> Whitney and Aretha tie. Yeah, I can't. I can't. My brain can't 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 get to one of them. I don't know, man. If I had to put money on it. I had to put them toe to toe. Maybe Whitney. I, I'm, I'm, I'm fear. I'm in fear of the backlash from this. Yeah. But maybe. Whitney. I just want to be clear. How would you put money on it? How would that? How would that? How would you put money? What would? Well, I'm who, sure there are people that are. Who much would you be more. betting against? How would anybody? How would you determine? Their... Well, I'm sure there are people that are qualified much more than myself to to make this uh, to do some type of analysis, but. That's right. Well, yeah, listen, I, I agree with I agree with you on Whitney Houston as uh, as greatest vocalist of all time. Definitely greatest female vocalist. Male vocal, I'm going to go with uh, Freddie Mercury from the band Queen, who I think yeah. is just unparalleled. But I'm not for this conversation. I'm not going to go really with either one. I've been listening to a lot of George Michael lately, not oh, just yeah. solo, but George Michael with Wham. And he was such a great singer. I mean, yeah. his tone. I mean, he. Amazing it's just control. like, yeah, like yeah. everything he does is just like vocally perfect. Oh, yeah. And I never thought of, when he first came out, I didn't think of him like that. They were this fun pop pop group. But I was listening to, uh, you know, they do Last Christmas, uh, and then Careless Whisper came on the other day, and it has saxophone in. It. I. I, I hate songs that have saxophone in it. I just think it's the stupidest <laughs> instrument in the world. Sorry if anybody listening plays saxophone. I just, I don't, oh, the sound it makes to me just like doesn't make anything Here better. Come the emails. <laughs> <laughs> the saxophonist alliance of, of North America is going to, going to, going to, going to be mad at us. Um, but that being said, his vocals are, are absolutely yeah. amazing. So amazing artists. All right, uh, and and I think all the people we we just mentioned are all deceased. So uh, rest oh, in man. peace. That's uh, that's kind of crazy. No, I, I wonder. Think about that. Yeah, I just re- I'm just realizing that. Huh. What uh, we got to you know? Let's think of who living. Oh, uh, I know, Justin Timberlake. Let's go to the next question. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just joking. I love Justin Timberlake. <laughs> he is not a great singer, um, but I do love him. Uh, Antonio, second question, same yes. one every time. What's something you've learned, mm-hmm. seen, or taught recently that'll inspire or resonate with our audience? Absolutely. You know, um, Michael, as we started uh, the new year, a lot of leaders are being reflective on their goals from the previous year. And one of the things that, um, you know, I spent a lot of time talking to, to leaders about is to, you know, in their reflection, of their goals and, and the work that they do, that it is okay to to be responsive and to change those goals. It, it is okay uh, to, to, to look back and make changes 
and you don't have to but not lower in the bar, right? We can't Absolutely. say, Hey, we said 70% of students X were nowhere near that. Let's make it 40%, right? We're not talking about that, right? No, no, we're, we're talking about let's change what we're doing so that we can still get to that 70%. Let, let's, it. yeah, absolutely. Let's, let's not be stifled and, and create boxes for ourselves um, and be able to make the changes. And one of the things I think that a lot of the leaders that I've worked with that we talked about is that, you know, even in January, we still have more school to do then we just went through, you know, since August or September, uh, yeah. folks feel, I know that, you know, since August, it's been tough and it feels like a year has already passed, but we still have more than half of the school year ahead. There's still ample time to meet those goals, to adjust ever so slightly your trajectory so that you are still on your path to reach your goals. So I think that that's one thing that's really inspiring leaders. Uh, right now is that there's still ample time to meet those goals and um, all is not lost, even though January is here and it's time to, to, to press on to the end of the school year. I think it's a, it's a really good point. I've heard a lot of school leaders talk about, well, we, we're going we're gonna to focus on that next academic year, right? And it's just like, hey, to your point, Antonio, these last four months have felt like four years in some places, yep. but we still have we still have six months of school left. Yeah. We have more left than we than we've already than we've already yep. had this school year, and so it's not time to be looking at let's you know what, what we're going to do in September, August, and September. It's let's look at what we're going to do tomorrow. Let's yep. look at what we're going to do Absolutely. the day after that, right? Absolutely. All right, sir. Uh, I have a quick one. I was oh, yeah. reading about this nurse who, and this is a little depressing on the front end, but it gets better. I promise. This oh. nurse who. Uh, works with people who are terminally ill and she asked mm. hundreds of them uh, what are their you know lots of questions but one of the questions was around what are your uh, what, what are some of your 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 regrets mm -hmm. and overwhelmingly as she in, in, interviewed hundreds of people and overwhelmingly they said something that sounded like I wish I would have chosen to be happier mm. in my life and wow. I thought it was such a fascinating thing that people are getting to the end of their lives and they're not thinking about, you know, I wish I made more money or, right. you know, I wish I had a nicer car, but they're like, I wish I'd chosen to be happier. And it resonated with me because I'm like, like I can sometimes get into this mindset of like, well, 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 oh, yeah. well when X, then Y, right? Mm -hmm. When mm -hmm. this thing happens, right? When, when that, uh, you know, when I get this, when I accomplish that. And it was just a really powerful reminder that in so many places and cases, happiness is a choice and that that it's not about the thing you're going to get but it's about who you who you're going to be in any in any given moment i think that's a powerful lesson at any time but particularly now with with what's going on in the oh, world no, right and that like yeah. you know there's real real stuff happening right now but like happiness can still be a choice and it really uh it really stood out to me yeah that idea of just being intentional i mean i know we've talked about that before you know not not just about happiness we talked about joy and other things in, in previous conversations but just being intentional um about about being happy that that's big i appreciate yeah, man. last question my friend uh we know that educators like to decompress in many different ways some of you oh, yeah. hit the gym some of you blast music some of you take a yoga class and some of us like to have a drink or four and so antonio what if anything are you drinking tonight you keep bringing up this four i can only do one michael <laughs> i'm telling you we're the odd couple man you stop after one drink and i'm just like all right let's well you know michael i'm i've, I've been, i'm a little less sophisticated today as you like to joke me um <laughs> I, I, I've given, I have not given up on, on, on Hendrix, you know, that's my, my go-to, but I've not received a case from them. So I'm currently out. Um, Are you boycotting so Hendrix to... because they haven't been hooking it up? You know, I was waiting. I was like, oh, you know, maybe they'll, you know, they'll hear our podcast and, and, and send something over, but it did not happen. So I haven't re-upped yet. Um, I will. But in the meantime, I am, um, I actually do have a drink. Uh, it's actually a, a colleague who does not like Hendrix and they recommended that I try um, uh, Crown Royal Peach. So I am doing a little bit of Crown Royal Peach with, um, you know, I love pineapple juice. I put pineapple juice in everything. Um, so it's a splash of pineapple juice. And also I am drinking out of a red 
solo cup. <laughs> Look at that. That is, I think you are trying to not be sophisticated intentionally because. I just don't want to do dishes. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. That's right. I don't want to do dishes. I don't, bl- I don't blame you. I, 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 am, I don't blame you. I feel like I'm on a constant <laughs> dish rotation. Uh, I, you've inspired me, man. I'm drinking Hendrix. I'm just noticing what? that it's 44 proof. So, uh, or 44% alcohol. So 88 proof, which is stronger than I thought it was. Yeah. Um, and I, uh, let's... Send me, I know you got some left over over there. You need to send some over. I'm out over here, man. Yep. Yeah, I will send you a a, a baggie <laughs> filled with the remaining oh, gin, and I will I will I will I will I'll mail it to your house. And the way the postal <laughs> service is going, you'll probably get it uh, on March uh, March thirtieth, March thirty second. Um, all right, Antonio. Thanks so much, friends. We are so excited to welcome our guests from uh, for for today. They are Clintel Hassan and Alex Kautza. They are diversity, equity, and inclusion experts. They are also folks with whom we work really closely at Skyrocket, and we are excited to welcome them to Informal Observations. Clintel and Alex, how are you both doing today? Ooh, I'm doing great. Um, <laughs> having a good day. Yeah, yeah. I'm doing terrific. Um, I'm fired up hearing about y'all's drinks. I can't wait to share about (laughs) mine. And uh, no, it's just it's an honor to be here. We're excited to chat. Well, we're excited to have you all. And and so let's let's start there. Are you all having a uh, having a drink with us? Are you doing something different? No, I'm definitely drinking. Um, (laughs) And, you know, today I'm going with the champagne. Um, The bottles are out and you got to finish them. You know, because it's not one of those things that you can put away for later because the bubbles go away. So I'm finishing <laughs> off a glass. Um, I'm feeling really good about it. Um, I'm drinking in a 2004 New Year's glass. So memories of other times as well when we weren't in a pandemic. So I'm feeling quite nice. All right. <laughs> I love the, the throwback to, to 2004. That was a, it was a good year. Um, all right. So I was drinking 2004 um but you know, <laughs> i was quite young then but uh, i was i was i was wondering i was wondering if you were of legal age back then but that uh that, that, nope. that makes sense what uh and and so clintel's doing some some champagne alex what about yourself yeah so i have um what i affectionately refer to as the Kautza family cocktail so Kautz is my last name and uh we always grew up drinking um, Kessler's and uh, Diet Coke, which for those of you that don't know, Kessler's is a dirt cheap whiskey. I do not recommend it. Um, but then uh, times got a little better and our, our fancy occasion whiskey was always wild turkey. And uh, now that's become uh, that's become the everyday bourbon, if you will. And so I've got um, some wild turkey next to me, also in a plastic cup, Antonio. And uh, I'm, I'm feeling really good about it. And uh, yeah, it's, it's exciting to be here sipping a wild turkey, ready to talk about some great stuff. So I think we need to get some Kesslers and maybe <laughs> we should stop trying to Antonio stop trying to get swanky Hendrix to sponsor our show and instead get dirt, dirt cheap uh, Kesslers to sponsor this show. Uh, I think that that might be the, no. might be the next move. I heard you could start a, a, a lawnmower with that stuff. No, I'm <laughs> That's right. That's right. That, that might Alex, be right, Antonio. Alex, I'm I'm just noticing. Does Alex have a radio voice? What's happening here? Uh, he's sounding real, all deep and yes, smooth. Yes, midnight train to Georgia voice. That's right. Oh maybe goodness. he. Maybe we got to put him on our list of vocalists because this is sounding <laughs> like 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 warm molasses. I'm I'm loving it. Mm. Uh, well, fr- friends, thanks so much for being here. We are excited to to have a conversation with you all. If you could just. You know, Clintel, I'll go to you. If you could start from the, really from the beginning, why'd you start Liberated and, and tell us exactly, and, and by the way, folks should know it's Liberate and then the ED is cap, capital ED for Liberate and, and folks work in education. So Liberate Ed. Um, and, and so please tell us exactly what you all do and, and why'd you start, why'd you start your organization? Yeah. So Alex and I founded Liberated back in 2015. Um, and we are anti-racist and diversity, equity, and inclusion facilitators. Um, 
it all really started by chance. Um, we both are incredibly passionate about anti-racism, culturally relevant pedagogy, designing spaces around identity development. And uh, at the time, we were both on staff at Teach for America Milwaukee as coaches. And one of my core members came to me, said, hey, I feel like we really need to do something at my school. Like, I would love for us to talk about CRP. I would love for you to facilitate an affinity space for us. I immediately was like, yes, we'll do that. I, you know, I want to. I asked Alex, hey, do you want to do this with me? Well, partly because I really appreciate his intelligence and his passion around the work. Um, the other part was because I needed a white person um, to facilitate the white folks affinity space. Um, and really from there, um, it was part of a network. Another school wanted a session and then we thought we should really do this. Um, and I handled kind of the legal paperwork side, my mom being a paralegal and Alex just kind of surprised me with all of this branding. He came up with Liberated and like the logo and all this stuff. And I was like, oh, you're really amped about this. Like, yeah, let's do it. Um, and to be honest, it's been a really great experience. I feel like it comes in ebbs and flows. Um, a lot of word of mouth with our networks and people who we know locally in Milwaukee, but really have been able to expand more nationally um, and be able to reach and um, facilitate for schools and nonprofits all across the country. Yeah, and that's, that's super cool. And we know you all are working with schools around the country. And that's, uh, that's a really exciting thing for just selfishly for us to see on our team, because we believe so much in you all and the work that you're doing. So it's exciting. It's exciting for us to see you all getting the word out to, to an even broader audience. We, uh, you know, I, I'll share that uh, for folks listening, Alex and I, we probably first met back in, this is probably 2015 or 2016. At this point, we're at a we're at a lunch table with a couple other people and you and I started talking about, you know, anti-racist work and, and culturally relevant pedagogy. And I said something to you and I'm, I'm probably going to butcher this. So this won't be verbatim, but it was something along the lines of, I believe you can have a good school and never talk about race or class or gender, but you probably can't have a great school. And you, you probably didn't agree with me back then, but, but <laughs> what, 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 what I, you know, starting skyrocket, I said, we're not going to focus on any of that stuff. There are other people who are going to do that. That's not going to be the work that we are going to do. And then, and then for us, it really came to a head as, as, as we started to see like, hey, we are, we are working with schools who are serving primarily black students and bl black communities. And we are not having any conversations about, about race and about equity. And so... Uh, you know, I'm not going to run those trainings. Antonio's not going to run those trainings. We're not we're not experts uh, at the content that you all are, and so I'm so glad for us all to be connected. But it's it's part of the reason why we all reached out to to, to you um, to say, hey, let's let's work together and let's if you all can can share your knowledge with our with our with our partners um, because you all do it in a way that is um, so inclusive. And there is no, the, I feel like the, the, the advanced learner uh, feels the same as the, as the novice learner and that, that you create safe spaces for people while really pushing them to, to, to reflect and to, to, to engage in work that can be, can be really uncomfortable at times. And so, you know, Alex, I'll go to you here. I mean, how has, how has your approach to this work allowed you to make, um, make change in schools? Yeah, yeah. First, I mean, I appreciate those kind words. And I, I think there's two things about our approach that, you know, come to mind when you ask the question. And I think the first is it's human centered. Um, and so Clintel and I are really passionate that the, the thing that should be top of mind for everybody in an educational space is the dignity of the students in the building. And so we really start with that in mind, like how are how is the learning we're creating um, going to lead to that school centering more the dignity of the students that are within those four walls. Um, but then also being human centered, we really take into account the entry points of the learners. Right. So we're engaging teachers and school leaders who are doing amazing work. They're, they're amazing people who have dedicated their lives to serving children and communities. How do we acknowledge their entry points and make a space that's going to move everybody forward. So I think that's the first thing I would say. Um, and then the second thing I would say, you know, I always think of, and Clintel and I are big um, 
you know, quote fans, right? Like we get that, that we are, um, you know, uh, standing on the shoulders of giants, as they say, and there's a trillion people more smart and, 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 and that have more wisdom than us, right? And so I think of Angela Davis, who's an amazing activist and scholar, right? And, and she has this quote, it's short and it's sweet, but it says, um, radical simply means grasping things at the roots. And so I think Clintel and I really allowed that to inform our work. And so much of the work in education and so many of like the flyby one-off DEI sessions, they're really operating at the surface level, right? Like they're just thinking about, hey, what's happening at the classroom? Like, let's get in, let's do some quick fixes. Um, you know, let's, let's talk about race just a little bit and then, and then we can move on. And Clintel and I really believe that like you have to go deep to do this work well. So we really think about what is the, you know, what are the histories of the individuals in that building? What's the history in the context of that community? What does that mean for how the school is operating and serving kids and communities? Um, but also like, you know, how do we take the roots and kind of go to the leaves, so to speak, right? So how do we take all this good learning about race and class and identity and power and privilege, and how do we translate that into meaningful action? And so I think those two things um, have really allowed us to, to learn from a lot of great schools across the country and, and hopefully allowed us to, to do a lot of great things for, for children across the country as well. I, I love, and thanks, Alex. I love what you're saying there. And Antonio, this is really relevant for the work that we do because uh, we, we, we're, we're 100% aligned here. We rarely do one off, a one-off training at Skyrocket. If we do, it's just to get our foot in the door so we can show the potential partner that you want to you wanna hire us because you, you, can't, I mean, you can't take one French class for four hours and think mm-hmm. you know how to speak French, right? It's, it's, this, it's this real miss in the, work, in the work that we all engage in that folks are doing a four or eight or even a two-day training and thinking that that's going to make any sort of measurable change. And so, you know, Vance, we're, we're very much aligned in, in that way as well. Do you have any thoughts around this kind of like, let's go deep versus yeah. just this kind of shallow, as we call it, like the drive-by PD? No, I mean, you took the words out of my mouth. I was thinking about, you know, in the in the past, especially before the events that have happened this year, a lot of times these, you know, DEI, you know, and I'm, I'm making the air quotes right now, trainings where you put staff, you know, and I'm, I'm guilty of this being a school leader, spending that, you know, that PD day to have folks talk about their privilege or do the dreaded privilege walk. Um, or other activities to try to highlight these things. Um, and then you realize that it, it actually strikes a match and it starts other things that one, either you're not able to, to adequately address in your school um, and without having continuous and a cycle of development, uh, you actually end up doing more harm. So I, I'm so excited about this entrenched work um, that is not that one-off, but you really, th- this type of work requires unweaving of processes, people rethinking their mindsets, and that does not happen um, in one, two, or three, even professional developments. It takes work and heavy lifting, and um, which is why, I mean, I've learned so much from you all, and I'm, I'm so happy that you're here to shed some light on that for us today. That's awesome. Vance, thanks so much for weighing in there. I have a, so I'm going to pivot a little bit here because, and, and Clintel brought this up, but about Alex, about your whiteness, I mean, Alex, and I've thought about this since 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 we met, and we ha- we have talked about this. But you, I believe you are you're you're a straight white male. Is that is that accurate? Yep, yep. Now, I've never met, and we've been around this work for for a while. Uh, I've never met I've never met somebody who identifies the way you do, who's run who runs trainings around around uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion. So, what's that? I mean, do you get do you get looks sideways or that, or is it like, nope, like this guy, this guy knows his stuff. I mean, what's the, what's the dynamic there? Yeah. And, you know, I wish I could say that it's like something that just clicked for me from the start and that I've, you know, been able to think about how to leverage my privilege um, in these learning spaces since I started this work. Um, but it's really been a, a work in progress, progress and definitely something that, um, you know, I know I still have a far ways to go, but, you know, I think it goes back to the idea that, um, no, I am who I am, right? I'm, I'm a straight cisgendered white man. Um, and those identities all come with a tremendous amount of privilege. And so the question then for me is, how do I 
contribute and be a co-conspirator and, and leverage those identities to do good work on behalf of kids and communities. And that's where Clintel has really been instrumental um, in, in just kind of helping me process like the passion that I have and translating that into, you know, learning for other folks. I will say that I cannot answer this question without mentioning um, the best teachers I've ever had. Um, and, and there's two groups there. It's my, my parents and uh, the students I had in my first uh, job in education. So I got to teach uh, high school science down in King Street, South Carolina. And uh, it was at King Street Senior High, a school full of amazing people in an amazing community. And my students there were almost all um, young black people. And they really, really um, were patient with me. I came in with a big white savior complex. I came in not really knowing how to process the privilege in my identity with the work that I wanted to do for my students. And they were the ones that were really gracious and like, um, you know, like, hey, Coach K, like what you just did was kind of messed up. Or like, hey, let me tell you how this, you know, made me feel. And, um, you know, and I think it's just that, that that beauty and that resilience in kids and, and, and they shouldn't have to be in that position of right. teaching people with more power and more privilege um, how to operate the world. Um, but I'm really grateful that they took that time with me because I think it's allowed me um, to really think about what it means to be a white man doing this work. And, and like I said, to, to really be a thoughtful co-conspirator pushing for racial equity across the board. That's, that's awesome. And I, I, I really like the, uh, that idea there of and we've 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 heard you all say this, right? It's not it's not a black student's job to enlighten a a white a white educator with a savior complex. Uh, and when that does happen, right? There's learn. It sounds like for you there was learning that that happened that happened there, and that's uh, that's pr- that's pretty cool. Fr- friends, I'd love to pivot a little bit because we know that you all are are, are from Milwaukee, live in Milwaukee. I, I know Alex, you're from further north in Wisconsin, but that Milwaukee is where you all call home. And having spent a bunch of time in Milwaukee, me personally at this point, and having spent a bunch of time with you both, it feels like, you know, the city of Milwaukee and and your love for the city of Milwaukee has, has inspired some or even much of the journey that you all are on. I mean, it feels like in some ways, Milwaukee is almost like a, a, a partner in in liberated right the city itself and you know we work with a lot of people from a lot of places i can't say that about anybody else and so are is that is that observation fair and if so can you speak to how milwaukee has influenced the uh, and maybe clintel will go to you on this but can you speak to how, how milwaukee's influenced the work that you all do yeah i think you know milwaukee is unique in the sense that it's everything that a big city has, but is gives you small town vibes. And so with that, you also then have the same complex problems that big cities have, um, particularly in Milwaukee around racism, systemic racism and segregation. But then also there's a small town vibe around when you think about the organizers, the activists, everyone knows everyone. And so I think for me personally, thinking about my journey in education and even getting to this point, I really think I always try to replicate what my unique experience was um, because I grew up in one of the few neighborhoods that was diverse um, in the city. Um, I had experiences where I went to different public schools that um, were homogenous and diverse. at the same time and having different experiences where I experienced um, prejudice and discrimination from my majority white peers in middle school, but then Mm. um, found a a place um, in high school where not only with other black students, but if we think now I would say colorism and understanding how anti-blackness permeates, but understanding like finding individuals who had the same experiences of me who oftentimes experiencing colorist privilege by being lighter, having different textured hair growing up, um, and then getting to a place where I I was able to understand all of those experiences. And now today, a lot of what I try to focus on is how do I keep building connections, um, creating learning experiences, and also really thinking about our youth. I think the most painful thing for me is when I go into a school or a classroom and I see a student who looks like me, a black student or a black classroom, um, not excited about learning. Um, And I think about the experiences that I had where I was so excited to learn not about everything, 
but I had teachers. I was lucky to have teachers who cared about me, who invested in me um, mm. and who actually showed me a lot of systemic racism in ways that it showed up early on. Um, and I think that type of community where I still talk to my high school U.S. history teacher, Mr. Rodol, who's this very older white man who goes running. He lives nearby my neighborhood. I see him running when it's negative 20 degrees outside. He was a cross country coach. Um, like I still meet with him and have conversations about politics and race. And like in high school, he would tell me like, I'm a Republican, these foolish yada yadas. But like we have really in, you know, intellectual conversations and we can find a common ground. And so I think that's where Milwaukee is unique and really drives this liberation work because you do have people from different walks of life, different experiences, but we're sometimes forced into similar contexts. And so once we have conversations, get to know one another, see the values and the end goal is similar. Um, I find that there's a lot more coalition building happening in Milwaukee and that just supports our work, obviously, because then we're able to, you know, meet where people are at and people are really hungry for more they're hungry for what can i do next how can i be better in my classroom how can i be more inclusive um, and so we're not starting at ground zero here awesome you know clinto i um my family and i we're i'm from chicago right right down i-94 um about what like an hour and a half yep a good yep. hour and a half yeah i know you you know you all want to be our our little sister city Tell <laughs> oh, you did not just do that. Oh, I mean, come on, come on, come on. Um, I'm, the younger, I'm the younger siblings, always the best, right? So I, I think that that's what they say. My sister would agree with you. <laughs> I'm, you know, I'm curious. I mean, I didn't get a chance to. I, I think I've been to Milwaukee maybe once or twice. What's something you know that people would be surprised to hear hear about? Um, Chicago's little sister city. <laughs> Man, I don't even know if I feel right answering this question after that that intro. Um, but uh, you know, I, I think there's there's a lot, and um, you know, I think one of the things that's like cool about Milwaukee, and, and Clintel alluded to this, is the coalition building, and I think that's because Milwaukee, at least in my personal experiences. Um, is a really cool city on multiple layers. And so I think there's like the Milwaukee that gets marketed to the outside world, right? And it's kind of this like hipster, bicycle, bowling, like small city, like come, you know, um, experience some breweries, some kind of good food and that kind of unique vibe that Clintel was describing where it's like in between a small city and a big city. Um, but I think the, the thing that's sad about that is like everybody comes in expecting that. And that was certainly my experience as, as a, you know, a white man who grew up in rural Wisconsin and, and heard a whole lot of um, really racist narratives about Milwaukee and what I was going to experience moving to that city and doing work. Um, and, and there's, you know, there's, there's some truth to the fact that those things are fun. And if you're privileged enough to have access to those things, then you're going to go to Milwaukee and have a really, really good time. Um, but I think the thing that surprised me, and I would say is, is probably the most surprising thing, um, if you're someone that doesn't know what to expect coming to Milwaukee, is that like, every zip code and every neighborhood in Milwaukee has some really, really awesome people um, and some really, really resilient communities that are just doing amazing things despite not having access to federal dollars and state dollars and despite not having access to some of those things that folks from other locales take for granted. Um, you know, I, I think that there's not a, a neighborhood in Milwaukee that um, doesn't have really, really cool folks that you can just walk down the street and they'll start a conversation with you and tell you about the history of their neighborhood or um, tell you about the schools and tell you about the restaurants and tell you where you should go eat or grab a cocktail or, or you know, go to a park with your kids, right? And so I think it's that kind of depth that um, it goes beyond like the, the fact that we got the Brewers and the Bucks and like we just got Giannis that signed a Supermax for those of you that are basketball fans, right? Like there's yeah. a whole lot of cool things, a whole lot of cool things happening in Milwaukee. Um, and that's right. But I think that if you can come here and experience that local flavor and just be willing to just walk down any street in the city and say hi to someone, there's a culture of brotherhood and a culture of fraternity and, and, and just a culture of, hey, we're glad you're in our city. Let me tell you about the things that maybe you don't see on TV or hear from others, and we're going to invite you to be a part of that. So I think I think that's a really um, a unique part that that I would uh, highly recommend everybody comes to Milwaukee and experiences for sure. Well, well, look, and and this might make the Milwaukee the Milwaukeeans on the on the call feel feel good because as the only New Yorker, 
on this call, on this podcast. I just want to say to Antonio about the city of Chicago that it is a very cute little city um, <laughs> that we think that our New Yorkers think of, of Chicago as a very cute, oh, very sweet man. little little city out in the Midwest. So um, I am joking. My <laughs> of friend. course you are. I'm not even going to respond. <laughs> No, I just find that kind of funny, the bashing in Chicago. I read recently an article talking about how Netflix films um, must not like Chicago because a lot of them are based in Chicago, but none of them are actually filmed there. Filmed there. They're filmed in um, Georgia. Um, really? And like they do these weird things to be like, we're in Chicago, but they're so like inaccurate and like painting like an illogical picture of the city of how people operate. That so didn't happen probably was Lovecraft. a Chicago person who wrote this article, but... Did that, that didn't happen with Lovecraft Country, did it? Well, I would have to check. I don't know. I mean, okay, to be honest, Lovecraft Country is it's 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 all set though, because I mean, it's not current day; it's the past. So okay, I would okay. assume but, all of that's on a set, most likely look, somewhere in no, rural no, no, Georgia. No, I don't want to hear this anymore. I don't want to hear it anymore. I'm, I know it hurts your feelings. Spoiler alert: Chicago's like people talk about it, but like. Yeah, sorry, Antonio. There's okay. a movie on on that note. There was a, when when uh, when we were living in Philly. There was a movie called Limitless with Bradley Cooper, where he takes this uh, <laughs> he takes pill. this pill and it gives him like these like superpowers. And it's supposed to take place in New York, but it was actually filmed about two blocks away from where I was living at the time. And it was cheaper. They actually brought down all these New York taxis and New York buses. Because it was cheaper for them to do that and film in Philly than it was to film up in New York. So if you watch, there's actually a fight scene in that movie where he's fighting a bunch of people in a subway. And it's supposed to be a New York subway, but it was actually literally the subway stop that I would take to go down to, t- to my teaching job in South Philly at Mastery Charter Schools. And so I'm like, oh, I, like, I, knew, all the different, uh, I knew all the different nuances of, the, of that area. So, um, But you all are, speaking of Milwaukee, right? And then Alex, you... you you got us there. We'd love to hear from both of you all. Uh, what, what, where should folks eat in Milwaukee? Where should, where should they hang out? What should they do if they're coming to your city to really, to really experience it? You're born and raised, Clintel. I'm going to defer to you on this one. Yeah, I was going to say, if you want like the best food, you would have to know me so that you can get a dinner made by my mother um, <laughs> because that's going to be where you get the best food in the city. So, Clintel, uh, I just want to be clear. Are you saying that anybody listening to this can come to your house? Is that what you're saying? I said, if you are listening to this and you know me, um, then. No, we'll put her address in the show notes. Address in the show notes. No, I'm just kidding. Um, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but um, outside, you know, of my home and the graces of my mother, I'd say, you know, to Alex's point around the city. So I think you got to definitely explore. We've got some incredible murals um, that have recently been popping up, particularly some from local artists. Um, there's also been a big boom of, you know, people of color owned businesses and restaurants. Mm. Um, one of the top spots, well, it's cold right now, but when it's warmer in the summertime is this food truck park um, that's kind of like slightly beginning of the south side in Milwaukee. And they just have so many different vendors um, and people and music. It's a great place. Um, Mazurka Food Park is a great place to hit up. Um, I also say if you like soul food, Daddy's Soul Food and Grill Mm. has excellent catfish. Um, cause I'm a catfish person. If I'm going to get soul food, I'm not trying to get fried chicken. I'm trying to get catfish. Um, but you and, all hold on just about, you all have a, a bloody Mary place that has a whole fried chicken in it, right? on, on a, what's it called? Sobelman's. And tell folks and about that. There's, there's actually a fried chicken. You can get a bloody Mary that has yeah. a fried chicken on a skewer, right? Yeah. And so if you, um, are a day drinker, um, which you should be if you're visiting Milwaukee, because that's pretty much all um, we do. Um, (laughs) Sobelman's is like this burger joint. um, And they do, they're known for their Bloody Marys. And one of their Bloody Marys has a full fried chicken in it. Um, Like a whole fried chicken on top of the Bloody Mary. Um, And so if you are hungry, but also, you know, 
want to get your drink on, that's the perfect spot for you. And so, yeah, I mean, it's really all about exploring, knowing what type of drink you want. Cause I think pretty much, like I said, it's a, it's Wisconsin. It's a drink town. I mean, we've got a lot I th- of, I think we're talking about food, Quintel. I don't know. So well, you shifted to drinks. I'm getting there. I'm saying you have to settle on the type of alcohol you want because then the food comes with it. And so if you're more mm. of a cocktail person, there's going to be fancy, nice restaurants like La Miranda that specializes in cocktails, but also specializes in food all around the world. And so it's really yeah. high quality. It's really delicious. Um, you're more of like a beer type person. And like there's going to be we've got um, Milwaukee Brewing Company. And so you can actually take a tour of how this you know brewery and how they make the beer and sample the beer while you're on the tour and get drunk. And then you can get food after because they have quality restaurant um, and get food and eat um, to sober yourself up. Ooh, I'm so I, you know, I had uh, the time to think about that as Quintel was laying out and I definitely second the daddy's endorsement. Um, if you're a bloody Mary drinker, Soberman's for sure. There, there's so many, too many to name, but the place that stands out to me is El Rey. And this is yes. an amazing, um, Mexican grocery market. And I would say, um, you know, the location 16th and national, um, just south of there is an amazing grocery market. Um, and just has an amazing, you know, selection of fresh produce, uh, amazing murals to Quintel's point. There's a statue of Cesar Chavez, um, out in the parking lot. That is, uh, just kind of a, a really beautiful, um, homage to obviously an amazing civil rights activist and, and well, a leader Alex, for the Mexican American community. Is, isn't there an El Rey on Cesar Chavez, uh, Boulevard yep. or Avenue? Yup. Right? Yup. Yeah, that's exactly it. That's different exactly one it. right There's no 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 this is the same one this is the same, same one, one i'm talking okay. about yep okay. so it's actually on cesar chavez and national yeah okay. and um and uh man they have an amazing lunch operation right so it's a grocery store but inside they have an amazing um like taco bar counter where you can kind of go up and order anything you want and then they also have like tamales and mm. um you know like rice and, and homemade salsas and it's just like amazing so um that's one of honestly my favorite yeah. lunch spots in milwaukee to go to is grab that and it's funny because I've gotten my parents hooked on it. And, you know, so my parents are, you know, of, you know, European ancestry, right from like rural northern Wisconsin. Um, but they're super, super like eclectic in their food tastes and everything. And when we moved to Milwaukee, one of the first things we did is we got this recommendation for someone and we went there and grabbed a bunch of stuff. And it's funny because, you know, um, the folks in there are so friendly and so nice. Like, again, it's, it's a spot I can't recommend enough, but you can just grab all this stuff to go. Right. And, and we just spent like, you know, 50 to 75 dollars and got just like a feast for our whole family and took it back. And it had every type of delicious food that you can imagine. So it's El Rey, Cesar Chavez and National. If you're in town, um, I cannot recommend it enough. Amazing uh, Mexican food. And it's family owned and it's been family owned for I yep. think, over 50 years. So they're like local, great family, great produce, great product. Um, mm-hmm. I love El Rey. Like a road trip. Road. Listen, I've got to <laughs> tell you. I've been to, you know, I've been to Milwaukee probably three, you know, three, three, four dozen times at this point. And I try to get to El Rey on every single (laughs) trip. And there's something about a restaurant in the, in like the side of a, of a grocery store that just screams like, we don't give a, like, we just, this is going to be the best food you've ever had in your life. And by the way, there are people over there buying like, you know, bananas and <laughs> and, <laughs> no you know, and and sprite right and they're like and but like here's the restaurant right here in the in the grocery store and it's it's some of the best food i've ever had i always get the steak and eggs and we get there after they've shut down the breakfast but i always beg and say can i please have this and they'll do it for me which is uh which is which is amazing so um and they probably give you that speedy new york city vibe too because i feel like they're pretty quick in there where it can be a little intimidating to order because they're like come on come on you're like oh i don't know what to get and then you see someone else ordering really quickly some oftentimes really quickly in spanish and so then you're like well what am i gonna do um but yeah they i love the speediness but also like they'll also take their time and be like how can I help you? I'm like, what do you mm-hmm. need? Yeah. I can tell you are confused. Um, what do you need me to explain? And so they're good people there. Yeah, no doubt. Really, really, really amazing. And uh, folks should should check that out. Ray, just so folks are clear, Ray is R E Y. And so uh, and so we're we're definitely getting next time we're out there. Once all this 
bullshit is over. We're, we're, we're coming out to Milwaukee and, and all, all four of us are going to, if you all are up for it, go yes. check out some El Rey and, and get some, we'll get uh, some tamales, tamales, get some beer, lay yeah. out at the lake. There'll be a time. <laughs> friends let's let's pivot let's pivot back to the work that you all do but this is a little bit of a little bit of a tangent but but i feel like uh in in the world not just in the world of education but just like in life these days right now i think this is probably a good thing but folks are nervous about saying the the wrong thing right am i and and just to share a personal thing i i have this habit or had this habit of standing up in front of a room of a hundred educators 80, 80, of, 80 of whom may have been women, and I'd call them guys. I'd say, hey, guys. Yeah. And a colleague of mine would say, don't say that, right? It's not inclusive. And like, he had to, he, he actually trained me, he taught me. He's like, so now I say friends. I say, hey, friends, you'll hear me, right? I'm, you'll hear me, hey, friends. And I hope that friends is cool. I think it is. <laughs> I hope that it is. But like, hey, friends, like, how are you doing versus guys, which is like my go-to. But folks are afraid of saying the wrong thing. And so can you all give us some coaching on, I mean, do we say black or do we say African-American? Do we say, I mean, when we think about the LG, uh, LGBTQ community, are, are we, are we, do we say gay? Do we say lesbian? Do we say, uh, do, do we say LGBTQ? I mean, what, what are some of the, what are some of the, 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 the tr- not tricks, because this is authentic stuff, but what are some of the things that we should be, should be saying, or some of the things, some of the things we should look out for to, to not be saying? Yeah, I think the first hint is always like, listen first so you got to listen to how people talk about themselves and how they describe themselves um and i think if you hear someone referring to themselves as you know they or you know gender neutral pronouns and you want to repeat that back um if you hear someone refer to themselves as i'm a black individual and you want to say black back instead of saying african-american um and so i think that's first the second is that google um so often i think people are afraid of um, googling an answer and Honestly, I had a friend who recently um, shared a picture of um, a baby that their sister had. And I was like, didn't want to put, you know, a gender on it. And so I Googled gender neutral term for niece or nephew. Um, And it's called a nibbling. Um, Do many people know what nibbling is? Um, Maybe not. And maybe I could use it and it wouldn't be um, as accepted or known. But at least I'm taking that effort. um, Mm. And I can explain to someone after the fact why I used it or I can just choose to say newborn. Um, I also think people, you have to not be afraid to be corrected. And so I think in your example that you shared, Mm. Michael, you named, you know, you had a friend who said, hey, like, you got to stop saying that. And I think it's when people get defensive and say, well, what do you mean? I got to stop. Like, we're getting too politically, you know, like, no, just like if someone's telling you, hey, this language is offensive, I would prefer you use this instead. Just listen and do it. Um, And I think that's the biggest thing is, yes, it's fearful because things are, language is changing and particularly in these education spaces, you know, language that I'm going to use in a session around anti-racism is going to be very different than when I'm talking to my neighbor about racism, right? But um, what's important is that, kind of going back to Alex's point about dignity, is that you respect people's dignity. And like, if you're hearing that, I don't like this term, or I would prefer you to use something else, that you just make that switch without being defensive. That's a, that's a great point. I think the, the piece around the correct, being not being afraid to be corrected, I think that a lot of this comes from a place of, uh, sure, authentically, I don't want to say the wrong thing, but maybe at a deeper level, at least with some folks, I don't want somebody to I don't want somebody to call me out uh, and 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 what that discomfort could. I don't want to experience that discomfort. And I've been saying guys for years, and and I should just be able to still say that. And I don't mean anything by it. I'm not a bad person, and I'm not. And so, like, but. And so I think it's a it's a really powerful point that really, really resonates with me. This like not wanting to be corrected or feel uncomfortable type thing. Yeah. Really yeah. The it, call out is of one of love. Like yeah. I care about you. That's that's why I'm letting you know, because otherwise, a lot of times if you're not. No one's going to tell you if they don't care. They're like, well, you're an a-hole. I don't care. Um, but when they tell you, it's because, hey, I want you to know. We work, we work with a school, and Alex, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you to hop in after this. We work with a school that they define feedback. They say giving somebody feedback is caring enough about them to want them to do better. And I think it's such a great, it's a great point that you're making because if nobody said anything, 
they're probably like, you know what? This person's a lost cause. We're never going to connect on this. Uh, they don't get it and I don't get them and they don't get me. And, and being corrected on this stuff uh, is probably evidence that the person correcting you is like, hey, I give a shit about you. <laughs> and like you can be better at your job if you do X or Y thing. And I think that's a really that's a really powerful that's a really powerful lesson. Yeah, yeah, I do think that's such a critical point to view that type of feedback and correction as like a genuine belief in, in your ability to adapt and to center the dignity of others. You know, the only thing I'd add here is like, I think it's incumbent upon us. And, and, and I think anybody, you know, of course, the, the whatever privilege you possess in a certain situation, it's incumbent upon you to understand the difference between oppression and inconvenience, right? Or oppression and discomfort. And I think, Michael, you were saying that, right? Like, so, you know, maybe you've said guys your whole life, right? Or, or maybe you have a habit or a way of thinking or speaking or a way of navigating spaces that is natural to you. Um, and that's convenient, right? But asking you not to do that, to actually give someone else their full humanity and to acknowledge that, that's not oppression, right? Like that's that's asking you to be comfortable being uncomfortable and to be willing to grow and adapt so that the people that have been historically marginalized and oppressed by the use of language can now feel fully themselves, right? And so I think that's like a critical distinction is so many times people are like, well, how come you're asking me to change the way I speak versus asking you to change the way you speak? And it's like, well, there's a false equivalency there, right? Like language has been used in our country to oppress folks. And so, you know, for me to adopt the way that I say something, it, that's maybe inconvenient, but it's not oppression, right? I can hopefully extend someone else the full measure of their humanity by changing my language. And that's something that I need to take seriously, right? And so, you know, I think that, yeah, language is difficult, but we all need to be willing to go there and evolve and adapt so that everybody can feel fully themselves and to, to have their dignity centered in whatever context they find themselves in. Alex, thanks for that that lesson with language. I really appreciated that. I was wondering if you can share um, with us and our audience, you know, a specific success story um, about how the work that you've done has really made an impact either on a student or a staff member um, and have made a change. Just something, you know, really specific, a, a, a real life story. Yeah, definitely, definitely. I'll share a story. Um... It, it actually is working with some folks who it's, it's a national network that we work with. And we had the chance to meet with their um, humanities curriculum planners, right? So these are the folks that are kind of brilliant folks, right? They know, they know more about humanities than, than I do, certainly. And they've been doing some planning in, in uh, how do we get to all of our teachers, high quality curriculum, but also create enough space that those teachers can take that curriculum and be culturally responsive. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, one of the things that came up in uh, one of our several meetings with them was this idea that, well, we're really, really wary of making our curriculum seem like it has a worldview, right? Like they didn't want their curriculum to feel mm. political. They didn't want their curriculum to feel like it was like pushing a certain agenda, right? Or indoctrinating students is another phrase that we hear. I've and, heard a um, lot about that. I've heard a lot yeah, about that. Yeah, no doubt, right? And, and I think it's a valid concern. Um, but I think, you know, one of the things, and Clintel had a comment, you know, in the meeting that I think was really brilliant is like, every curriculum comes with a worldview, right? Like, like that is an unavoidable reality. Um, you know, another person that we draw upon often is Howard Zinn, right? And he, he has a simple quote, you can't be neutral on a moving train, right? So like, right. you cannot pretend to be apolitical in this work that we call education. You're either going to center the dignity of the people that you're working with, or you're going to toss up your hands and say, hey, we've got to let the system charge on. And so, you know, I think Clintel and I were able to work with these really, really brilliant folks and take this super sophisticated curriculum that they were designing, and we were able to help them adapt it to make it more relevant and more socio-politically conscious, right? Like more aware of the systems that were operating around these children so that they could design a curriculum that responded to the needs of that community. And to be frank, that just more accurately represented history, right? If you're going to teach, uh, you know, a, a, a bunch of texts or a bunch of history books that have been written by those uh, who have won wars, right? Or you're going to teach Ernest Hemingway and William Faulkner and all these folks, right? Like, like that's representing a worldview. That's not a neutral act. So for you to yeah. kind of decentralize those voices and to center a more diverse set of voices and to center the identities of the students and communities that you're trying to reach, that's actually a, a, a necessary wow. act um, in your, as far as thinking about how to do this thing that we call education, right? So they were able to do that. They were able to redesign their curriculum and now that's getting to the hands of students. And so um, that's one success story, I would say. And that, that's kind of yeah. big level. We have a ton of, you know, aha moments with teachers and yeah. we also learn yeah. a lot from teachers, but, but that's just one quick story that comes to mind. 
Man, Alex, you you did more than give us a success story. You took us to church, man. Uh, no, yeah, no, no. <laughs> I think it's I'm really, long-winded, it's, man. I apologize. That's a fa- but that's a fascinating <laughs> idea that folks are saying we don't want to, and I'm, I'm, I'm generalizing here, but I've heard this as well outside of our work with you. We don't want our curriculum to have a quote-unquote agenda mm-hmm. while the curriculum is white, mostly white men, right, mm-hmm. who are who fit into a certain, you know, I mean, Hemingway was a big drinker and a big womanizer, right? Like, mm-hmm. like I mean, it's just like a lot of these different writers and a lot of like, and, but, but that's really, I think that speaks to a lot of the work that you all are trying to do or even undo is that that in a lot of places is seen as being neutral when in fact it's objectively not neutral. Right. It's that like, mm-hmm. there's a, your, your curriculum already has an agenda. You're just so used to it. Mm-hmm. And it's been so normalized that it feels like it's the it's it's exactly what it should be that that it that it's that it's down the middle when in fact it it certainly is it certainly is an agenda in and of itself. Friends, we are uh, we are almost at time. We're, I'm going to ask you one last question for each of you. But before we do that, you have to promise you're going to come back on the show again because we have a lot more to talk about. Oh, yeah. Will you guys? Will you all come back on the show at some point? I'll think about it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh my goodness! You know, Tintel's well, a hard customer. Let's Tintel. just see how it goes. No, I'm kidding. Of course, of course. We'll get you some gin and you'll come back. Tintel, I think. Uh, yeah, we'll get you some more champagne. You don't want the bubbles to. You don't want the bubbles to go away, so you got to drink that champagne once you open it. Here's here's the last question. This one's going to be tough. So I'm going to ask both Clintel and Alex to weigh in on this, but I'm going to ask you to just fire off an answer, right, and not go down a like get get as as precise as you can here, right? Like like I'm talking seven words or less. And if Are you, you talking to Alex words, specifically? We're going to. <laughs> Yep, yep. I was gonna say, Clintel's like the super serious, like communicator, and I'm always going down on these tangents. So I hear you, Michael. Okay, I know you're addressing me right now. It's okay. Well, uh, Antonio, thanks for do, thanks for thanks for doing that. Yeah, we're ta- I was talking to Alex specifically. What, what, we're, we're gonna ask you all to come up. If you could snap your fingers, boom, and change one thing about urban ed in America, what would you change? And we're talking about one thing. There, there are dozens of things I imagine. What's the one thing that you would change in urban ed in America? Whoever wants to hop in first, please go for it. Hmm. I would say centering student identities in community context. Start with those two things and plan great schools from there. Centering student identities in community context. What does that mean? Yes. Yep. No doubt. No doubt. So you don't, you is don't your even cr- got to explain, Alex, because I think my answer is the, the, explaining yours. It's the Great better now. version of mine. Go, Clintel. Go. <laughs> <Let's> go. <laughs> um, giving um, giving more power to families and communities. Um, and and I think that's where Alex is coming up with the centering. Ultimately, I think our families and communities are often the receivers of um, an educational system that they don't have any real say in. And I think Mm. there is no one size fits all. We've been trying to do that. That doesn't work. Um, And so I think the only, the one thing I could change is having parents and families have more power so that school systems can respond um, and be more effective in serving them. Beautiful. And that's a perfect way to, perfect way to wrap up. We can't thank you all enough for coming on on the show, Clintel and Alex from the Liberated team. Can you all? How can folks find you? What social media do you have? Website? Can someone share that stuff with us? Yeah, so we do have a Twitter um, called Liberated underscore MKE. We have a website www.leadwithliberated.com. Um, and so you can hit us up on our website, follow us on Twitter. We don't tweet that much, um, to be honest. So <laughs> you might not go through the effort of the Twitter. But if you find us on our website, you can hit us up, find our email, contact information. Um, and who knows, you know, things are changing. So you maybe should follow us on Twitter anyways. Um, <laughs> I start tweeting more in 2021. We'll see. New Year's resolution. 
you are you, you just you just brought me through a whole cycle of emotions, Quintel, with that. With That's that, what uh, I like to do. You know? <laughs> Get people at their best that way. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Well, friends, we're we're so thankful that you all came on yes. the show and you shared your wisdom with us. Um, for Antonio and myself, we are uh, we are skyrocket. This was informal observations, and uh, we hope to uh, see you all next time. Thanks so much Absolutely. for tuning Bye, in, everyone, and uh, have a great night. Thanks so much. Bye bye. This was informal observations with Skyrocket Educator Training. Sign up for our mailing list at wewillskyrocket.com and look out for our next episode.